what I really quickly discovered was that the more I said no to things that weren't a good fit and only said yes to the things that were, number one, I started enjoying the work a lot more. So I didn't have this feeling of resentment of like, I don't really care about this subject. I don't want to do this, but I need the money. It also made me a great person for giving referrals out to other freelancers. I would give the project to them and then they would return the favor to me for things that were a good fit for me. So the benefits very much outweighed saying no to the opportunities. Welcome to episode five of season seven of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, AKA Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built the business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice, and if it's not, Let me know. I'd be happy to get it there. If you've heard the show before, leave us a review on iTunes or drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Kaylee Moore. Kaylee is a freelance writer who specializes in blog content for e-commerce platforms and the software that integrates with them. She has also written for Forbes, Adweek, and Glossy. She also co-hosts a podcast and helps run an online course called Creative Class with Paul Jarvis, a former co-host of the show back in season three, episode four. Definitely go grab a listen to that. We talk about his story there. In this episode, however, we dive into the word today and how Kaylee's interests change over time, as does her ideal client but then how she handles that with existing clients. We also talk about how to be selective and figure out who you want to work with and what questions to ask your clients as an exit interview. This is an outstanding episode. So here's Kaylee. Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to be talking with Kaylee Moore here. Uh, Kaylee, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk too. Well, it's my pleasure. And I know that, you know, I've been following you for quite some time on Twitter and, you know, with Paul and everything that you do over there as well with him. And I know that you have an ideal client. You've found a niche, a specialty, if you will. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey there. But before we dive into that, who is your ideal client? Yeah. So today my ideal client are e-commerce platforms. So that think of like Shopify or Etsy or big commerce, and then the software tools that integrate with those platforms. So that make e-commerce selling a little bit easier. So that would be things like email marketing software or CRM or um, like an upselling tool. So it's pretty specialized. It's pretty specific to kind of the e-commerce and software as a service world. 
Um, and I just, we'll get into how I got there. I just kind of fell into that world, but it's a great place to be and it's, it's still growing a lot. And so the people that I work with are like marketers, editors, content managers at those types of companies. That's, so that's my ideal client. Gotcha. So one thing I want to mention there is, is you started that off by today. Can you elaborate why today? So for me, I feel like my freelance writing business has evolved quite a bit over the past six years since I've been doing this full time. Um, in the early days, I was doing something very different. So I just try to be mindful of the fact that things are often changing and evolving. And it's kind of my responsibility, responsibility I feel like, to evolve with it and to always be relevant to the people that I'm writing for, but also to kind of get out in front of where my interest lies. So if my interests change over time, what can I do to tweak my business model a little bit and maybe get in front of a new audience of people? So an example of that would be um, this past year, I've really focused on retail businesses and direct to consumer commerce. And so I've started writing for Forbes about that. And so mm -hmm. again, like that was just something I was interested in. It kind of relates to the e-commerce world because a lot of those, those people do have e-commerce presence is, I guess, mm -hmm. but it's, it's an evolution. Again, it's another slight shift in my business model. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that you say like it evolves over time because same thing for me, it was, I'm an e-commerce developer. That's what I started doing. I flocked towards e-commerce as a developer when most developers run away from e-commerce. And mm. I just love the solving problems in that space. And it's sort of evolved over the years now where I focus solely on ConvertKit and Drip integrating with WooCommerce. And so, um, so that's my platform of choice, but it's evolved in that way to just include those platforms. Whereas before I was working on Magento websites, I was working on custom Ruby on Rails and integrating all of the other platforms out there and it became muddy. Like I wasn't really uh, focused there. And so you said something in that intro there about the who, the position, the person within those companies. Can you elaborate a little bit more on why that specific role in that company is your client? Yeah. So for me, it's a little bit focused because I'm doing mostly blog content creation. That's kind of where I do my best work and where I've niched down to focus my efforts rather than white papers or website copy, things like that. Mm -hmm. I really focus on research and writing long form blog content. So the people that I end up working with most often are folks within that marketing department who either have the title of like editor or content manager or head of marketing. And they are overseeing a larger execution of a lot of different strategies and blog content is one of those pieces. Um, so I think that was important for me to kind of know and understand is like, who am I talking to when I'm creating my website or when I'm, you know, pitching myself to a client and what are, what is that specific person's needs? What do I need to do to make their lives easier? So by knowing that I've been able to really cater to that, that person that I know is going to be the one making the hiring decision. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that's super smart because it's easier to know right up front. Am I talking to the right person or am I not? So before we dive into a little bit about how you came about your ideal client, I'd like to ask everyone, what is your defining moment in life so far? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. My defining moment. Oh my gosh. I'll have to think about that. 
I guess I haven't had one if it's not right at the top of my mind, right? Well. So give me an example. Like what have other people said? Because now I feel like I'm scrambling and I don't want to say something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> no, there's nothing stupid about it. It's just it's some people say, you know, that it was their partner, marrying their partner, mm-hmm. who's having a child. Other people are giving a professional milestone that they hit, uh, leaving the nine to five to going to, okay. you know, building their own business and things of that nature. It's always, I mean, we've had near death experiences, you know, some, some basically just some defining moment in their life that the reason why I asked this question is because it's it's funny how sometimes when I have these conversations is that when I ask that question and then I hear their story, there is usually some symbiotic relationship between that defining moment and their story. I see. They're describing to you here on the podcast. And for me and the audience, it's it's always interesting because you don't really think about it and it could be a personal, you know, defining moment. But we're talking all about business here. And so how that interweaves with everything is fascinating to me. I see. Okay. Well, that makes that makes sense. That gives me a little bit of background, something to work with there. So I would say definitely for me, a, a big defining moment was also leaving my nine to five job. So before I started freelancing, I was working full-time as the PR manager for a nonprofit in Illinois. It was my first job out of college. It's a great job. I love the people there. I love the work that they do. I was looking for something a little bit more challenging, I think. Um, I wanted, and I wanted more flexibility too. I was commuting about 45 minutes each way to work and there was a lot of nights and weekend events and I just, I wanted to be on my own schedule. So I started looking for a way to do that and freelancing was was one of the kind of paths away from that to where I'd have that freedom and flexibility. So I gave myself an 18 month window in 2013 and said, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to quit my job. If it doesn't work out. I'll go back and find another one. But that was six years ago. So it all mm-hmm. worked out, but that was, yeah. that was a big leap for me. I mean, I was, I was very young. I was still just a few years out of college and to leave that job security and, and all those wonderful things like vacation time and health benefits. That was scary. That was hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just have to ask a follow up to that is did you have a client roster before you did the leap or was it I did. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. I did. Yeah. yeah. So I started freelancing on the side for about 6 months before I made the transition into full-time freelancing and I really just I had a couple clients who had me on a con- contractual basis to where we had a year contract lined up. So nice. with those I felt like I had a little bit of stability to where the transition was a little bit less scary. So that made my jump a little bit safer, I guess. Right, right. My training wheels. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I always admire the people that just do that jump and there's like, no, there's no mattress to save them or nothing. They're just like, all right, I'm quit. I'm done. Yeah. I wasn't me. It was, I was very much like you, like I had to have something to fall back on at least. So the ideal client, when you settled on your ideal client, How did that happen? Did it just like say, hey, I like these people? Or was there an actual strategy or process that you went through? I think there were a lot of factors. I think so in the early days of my business, I just said yes to everything. And I worked Mm -hmm. with basically anyone who came my way. Um, But over time, I I took the creative class with Paul Jarvis, which I'm a co-teacher of now. But I took Mm -hmm. that course in 2014. And that really encouraged me to shift my focus to a specific niche. And so I I decided to do that and to give it a try. 
And I had a couple of clients that were in the software world and I liked working with them. I, I liked the subject matter. I liked the people that I was working with. And so I just kind of decided to lean into that to see where it went. And that was a fortunate choice because software has really taken off over the past decade. And so that's been a really profitable place to be. So I think that there was definitely some luck involved with that choice. I think it was also just, I don't know, like being, being in the right communities, being in the right places, talking to people, working hard to make friends and connections with people in that world really helped um, generate some referrals and kind of cement my place to where I felt like, I don't know, I was part of a community where people knew who I was and, and what I do. And so that made my services, I guess, a little bit stickier. It made it, mm-hmm. people were like, oh, that's Kaylee. She works with software. Like I've, I've seen her on Twitter or I've seen her on X person's blog. Like right. it helped build a little bit of authority and subject matter expertise within that world. So I guess one thing that I had found was the ideal client while industry specific or platform specific, like we've spoken about is one element to it, one factor to it, but it's also, there's a personality side of things, right? Like as business owners ourselves and freelancers, we, you know, they're hiring us for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like they could go somebody else, but yet they decide to choose us and it's reciprocal too, right? Like we could choose just because we got a bad vibe from somebody as they came in as a lead, like, okay, maybe I should just pass on this person or this business or this project. Did that play a role in your thinking? I think it took me a long time to figure out who were the clients I should pass on. I think it's it's always a little bit difficult to figure out who's going to be the best fit for your work style and um, your personality. So it was a lot of trial and error for me. Hmm. I think a lot of it has been driven also by interest. So what am I interested in at the time? What am I not easily going to get burned out on writing about day in and day out? Where do I feel confident enough to where I'm not like researching and learning from scratch every time I get a new assignment? So mm-hmm. yeah, there were a lot of factors that went into figuring out who were the good fits for me and who maybe would be better served working with someone else. Yeah, the burnout thing is a, <laughs> it's a legitimate thing. You don't want to wake up each and every day and be like, oh, I don't really want to work on that project. Yeah. <laughs> you heard what Kaylee said here, she's become the subject matter expert in the field she's chosen. She's a bit modest here as well, at least in my opinion, where she says that it was a bit of luck. But if you hear how she's networked and been a part of that community, she's built a referral network and become known as the go-to person. So just who Kaylee is by injecting herself in her own personality, she's become that go-to person. Word of mouth is probably your number one source of leads into your business, but I'd be willing to bet that you are leaving that up to chance, right? Well, if you want worksheets and exercises and the ability to create that ideal client and a referral machine to build predictability in your leads coming into your business, head over to feastacademy.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes and templates to not only figure out who your ideal client is and the services that you can provide for them, You'll also learn how to figure out how to put a price on those services that makes it a complete no-brainer for the client. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. By using the code RED FLAG, you can get your first month for only $20. 
Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off the project's searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that they set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do, who you help, and helps you build the processes and systems for everything you need to build a sustainable business. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's, and this is the differentiator of Feast than all other online courses out there. When you are a member of Feast, you get personalized guidance from myself. It is essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat so that I can create a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are. If you wanna stop chasing down that next project so that you can start living your life, go to feastacademy.com today and use the code red flag at checkout and your first month is only $20. So have you done any sort of those exercises, those customer avatar exercises? I mean, probably for your clients in some small way as you're engaged with them on a project potentially, but for your own business, have you, have you sort of gone through any of those exercises or empathy maps maybe, or any of that sort of thing? No, you know, I haven't really done anything that technical with that kind of framework built in. I think a lot of it is for me more just asking for regular feedback and being really strategic about the questions I ask. So it's that, but a little bit more ambiguous, I guess, and less strategic. So anytime I end a project, I have an exit survey that I send to the client. How did things go? What could improve? What did you like? Um, next time, like, what are the things I can do that would make this run more smoothly? So I'm getting those same pieces of information. Um, I'm just kind of collecting all of these data points from all these different people I work with and then keeping those in mind for future projects as well. So it teaches me how to be a better freelancer and how to better serve these people that I work with just by asking these questions on a regular basis. It teaches me new things that I would, you know, I couldn't learn them any other way other than asking like, hey, what can I do to make this better? Um, and they're the perfect sources of feedback because they're the exact type of person I, I want to hire me in the future as well. So that's been really invaluable. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's sort of an exit interview, if you will. Like you said, what, what have you found most interesting about the answers that you get from those questions? I love when I get a piece of feedback about what things I can do to make life easier. I've, I've really discovered some interesting things there that I never would have thought of, but um, they're usually along the lines of like, oh, we could really use a snippet for the meta description included with the blog post. So very specific things like that, but just little bits and pieces that if I can add those in, it's a huge value add for them because it simplifies their work process. It makes their job easier. Another one that's been really popular is um, having a network of sources to get original quotes from for the pieces that I write. Um, being able to leverage that network of connections and then tie that into the pieces that I create is another great form of extra value that I can deliver. And again, like that was off of a piece of feedback from a client. They were like, hey, we'd really love it if you would do this. And so I was like, oh, of course, no problem. And so I started talking that up with other clients as well. And in a couple instances, was actually able to charge a little bit more by adding that in as kind of an add-on. 
Mm. Yeah. It's funny when you ask a question and they say something that's like, I don't know why I wasn't doing that before. Right. Right. And so, and it's simple things like, you know, I work on retainer and my clients at that time, all I did was I just gave them weekly emails at the end of the week, basically updating on them on things that I worked on, where we're at in the project and then what's up next. And so I just opened the door and had a 10 minute conversation with a bunch of my clients. I do that on a regular basis, but this time it was, how can I be more awesome? Right? And that's my phrase for what can I do better? Yeah. And so what I heard was, you know, we'd love it if there was a phone call more often, like we can, you know, you're available and everything and not saying that, that that's the case, but if we could just have a regularly scheduled phone call with the updates, like the emails are good, but the phone call, I'm like, okay, I can schedule a weekly call. Does that work? <laughs> like, And I would just charge more for that because that's just taking me away from your work and that's fine. But if you're willing to pay for that added feature, I'll do that. And so I did and wasn't adding anything to my skill set or anything. It was just creating a calendar invite and I would have never thought about that. Yeah, that's so good. And it's just really intriguing. I I love that you asked those questions. So how has crafting or figuring out who your ideal client is, how has that evolved your business? I think it has allowed me to really position myself as a subject matter expert for a very specific client. And the value in that is that I am seen as a professional who can charge more because there's more value in like a really strong subject matter expertise rather than just like, oh, we're just looking for a writer who can get this done. Like we don't care who it is. We just want cheap. We just want done. So I have, it's allowed me to position myself as a fairly expensive uh, service provider, but one that can do a really good job. that has a really good record of delivering results, meaningful results for the client. And that has a process in place. So again, like it makes their life super easy. They basically just have to complete a couple steps and then hand the project off to me and then I do it and it's done for them. Mm. I think that that's a key point here, right? So you became like the expert because you've honed in on this ideal client, which then allows you to charge premium prices. Mm -hmm. But it also makes you, like you said, referable too, right? People are aware of what you do And if there is a need that they have or somebody that they know has, they can say, hey, Kaylee does this stuff. Go talk to her. I know she'll help you. How did you feel when you started to say, hey, I I do need to make this shift, if you will. Like I do need to specialize or figure out who my ideal client is. Was there any fear that you were like closing the door on opportunities that could be lucrative, profitable, or maybe just accelerate your career? Oh, for sure. Definitely. And I, of all the freelancers I talk to, when we talk about choosing a niche and getting really specific about who you work for and what you do, that's the same thing that comes up every time people are like, no, I don't want to say no to money. Like (laughs) I want the jobs that are coming my way. And I, I totally get it. And I've been there, but what I really quickly discovered was that the more I said no to things that weren't a good fit and only said yes to the things that were, a couple things happened. Like number one, I started enjoying the work a lot more. So I didn't have this feeling of resentment of like, I don't really care about this subject. I don't want to do this, but I need the money. So it eliminated some of that. It also made me a great person for giving referrals out to other freelancers who, if a project came my way and it wasn't a good fit, but I knew someone it would work for, I would 
give the project to them, and then they would return the favor to me for things that were a good fit for me. So I think that it had a couple of benefits that very much outweighed saying no to the opportunities and kind of the missed revenue from those. Mm. Do you ever to this day deviate? Uh, pretty rarely. There, there are a few clients that kind of fall outside of my industry, but I think are very interesting and that I, I'm really like, I'm very passionate about the company. So if they were to come to me, I'd probably say yes, just because Mm -hmm. I like what they're doing. I like the product and all those things, but for the most part, day to day, I keep pretty strict boundaries around who's a good fit and who's not. Right. But because you are saying no, it gives you that freedom and flexibility to choose those interesting and passionate projects. Yeah. I find myself too, sometimes like, oh yeah, that would be a cool project to work on. (laughs) It's totally out of left field, but it's, or, you know, it's just, it's a local project. So it's like in my community or, you know, something of that nature. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll, I'll see what I can do. But that's the beauty of freelancing, right? Is like you get to call those shots. There's no boss to tell you, no, you can't do that. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. You don't have somebody else saying like, you're actually seeing the opportunity. Right. right. If you have a boss, you would never even see that opportunity. You'd be like, okay, all right, next, you know, next mm-hmm. order sheet. So yeah, I love that. One of the things, I guess, back on the emotional side or the, the fear factor side, if you will, of, of deciding to go down that ideal client, you mentioned something about taking on things that are of interest to you at the time and being able to maybe shift and and choose of those things. When you do shift a little bit on the interest and you have those existing clients that are, let's say, not of the new sort of way or new direction where you're looking, how do you handle that shift with the older clients? It really, it's kind of a case by case basis. If they're a good client who has no problem paying me on time and that I can easily continue to do the work for, I'll just kind of grandfather them in. And then moving forward, I'll be more selective with the things that I say yes to. But the, the beauty of the kind of work that I do is that it really kind of fluctuates from month to month. And so I might work with one client for three months in a row and then they take a quarter off and then they come back again. So that kind of variability is kind of stressful sometimes on the revenue side of things. I've been really fortunate to have a really healthy business so far, but um, that flexibility also lends itself to having that shift in interest and being able to shift my focus a little bit and be fairly agile with like, here's what I want to focus on this month or this quarter. So I would say I don't shift my interests very often. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a slow, gradual progression into a new area when it does happen. But I just kind of, I I just tweak things a little bit. And I I focus on if there's something that's really, really keeping me busy and I I know that I need to shift my focus, a rate increase is always an easy way to weed people out. (laughs) Sure. Um, so that's, that's kind of the fallback if everything else fails, but yeah, it's just kind of a a slow progression. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It goes back to that fear factor rate increase. They're like, Oh, well, this is a good client that pays me on time. They just don't want to pay me that new rate. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny how a rate increase weeds out people. (laughs) 
It really does. <laughs> uh, but th- no, I mean, it, to your point though, I think, you know, and I've shifted gears a few times just in the realm of what the client is asking for, right? So, you know, in the very beginning, I, I was very much like you, just taking any job that would come my way because they were willing to pay me for it. And I was working on Ruby on Rails projects and custom PHP projects and Java and all of the rest of these sort of projects. But what I found was that the clients that I was having, they weren't necessarily like, they weren't amazon.com. So their whole team wasn't in the website every single day, all day long. Maybe once a day they would pop in or every other day they would pop in. And so what I found was that they were constantly having this need to relearn how to do certain things that they hadn't done, let's say in a month, like, oh, Mm -hmm. we have to update a product or upload a new product. How do we do this stuff again? And so what I wound up focusing in on was in WooCommerce. And this was before all of the automatic acquisition and things of that nature. So I got lucky in that space, in that regard that, well, that was the one that won out, so to speak. But I looked at my clients to see what was interesting at the time and in the market for myself, as well as for my clients. Do you find anything of that nature, like that you see like a shift in your client base that says, hey, maybe I should pay attention to something over here? I think that the one thing I've really noticed in the past couple of years is that the number of integrations for e-commerce platforms has kind of exploded as e-commerce continues to grow. So that's great news for me as somebody who (laughs) who writes for those types of companies. But it's also another challenge for me too, is like, can I keep up with all the technology advances with with the applications and and understanding how they all work together as like a full stack, essentially, which is very much marketer speak. I can't believe I just said that. um, (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just a matter of like paying attention to the news and like listening to smart people within your industry and seeing what they're talking about and just, just knowing what's going on so that you can see the opportunities when they come up and you can also kind of protect yourself a little bit too. If, the bottom is falling out of something as well, you know? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was in a spot because for a long time, I I hitched my wagon to drip. Mm. And that was really my only focus was drip. And then uh, my clients who were on drip, but they didn't fit the mold of where drip was headed in recent you know, past two years, I guess. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I know ConvertKit too. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. that might be a better solution for these types of people. While I still have plenty of clients on Drip and it's an awesome platform and everything like that, it just where they were headed and where they were taking it for me was like a gut thing. Like, uh, uh some of my clients aren't going to fit this mold. Right? right. And so like, you know, you mentioned Shopify, like they're going all in, th- in that space. Well, I'm WooCommerce. Right. Mm -hmm. So it didn't fit that same space and WooCommerce features would get added once they were done with all the Shopify features, which Mm. is never going to happen. So it's that, like you said, it's, it's being aware of what's happening in your world and in your client's world to, you know, see those changes if you can. Right. So you said a bunch of different times as far as, you know, you're flexible, you, you look for that opportunity interests, things of that nature. What's up next for the next six to 12 months? 
Oh my gosh. I always hate when people ask me these questions because I'm so <laughs> bad at thinking about the future. I'm very much like in the now, what do I need to get done today, tomorrow, this week? Um, I don't know. I think I, I really am content with the type of work that I'm doing. So I want to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm working with Paul on the creative class course. We launched that. We're getting ready to launch it in the fall and then we have one in the spring. So I'll continue to do that. I've been toying with the idea of my own like teaching based materials for a while now, like a course or an ebook. I just don't know though. I'm just so, I'm always so worried about being a spammy marketer that I took myself out of it. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's on the horizon. Maybe not. We'll see. I haven't decided. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Like I do have a, a course in a community and coaching side of the business while the services is the bread and butter and all that stuff. I do sometimes like yourself, like am I just spamming these people? (laughs) No, I mean, if they're signed up, they obviously like you. I just, I need to get out of my own head about it. I need to just commit and do it. Yeah. It was funny. I had a friend of mine, a a great friend of mine, just the other day on the phone, he was asking me, he's like, uh, he's like, what do you think is stopping you from growing that side of the business? I said, me, my own head. I got to get out of my own way a little bit. You know, that's all. (laughs) But uh, no, I get, I get that totally. So this was awesome. Uh, I appreciate your time and sharing a little bit of your story here and your wisdom here. I love the exit interview. If you're not doing that sort of thing, dear listener, I encourage you to ask questions of your clients that are outside of the projects that you're working on with them, just to better your education, your business, figuring out what they like and don't like, uh, you're not imposing on them, right? Like you're not salesy. Right. They want you to ask. Exactly. Right. So, uh, I encourage you to do that. And and obviously Kaylee does as well. Uh, Kaylee, where can folks reach out and say thanks? I spend way too much time on Twitter. So Twitter is a great place. (laughs) Although my first name is really hard to spell. So I'm not even going to try to tell people what my handle is. We'll just put it in the show notes, I guess. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so Twitter is a great place. Um, I'm also in my inbox a lot. So we'll give my email address. Um, I help with creative class. We have a podcast for that. Um, yeah, that's those are the three best places, I think. Awesome. And I'll definitely link up all of those in the show notes. And great. everybody can reach out to Kaylee there and say thanks. Uh, Kaylee, thank you for coming on the show and sharing with us your journey today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I can speak for both Kaylee and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode. It's really super simple. In the podcast app of your choice, presumably this one that you are listening to right now, go ahead and drop that in a comment or a review, or go ahead and share it in a tweet and tag me at Rez, and I'd be happy to pass it along to Kaylee. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well so that you're going to be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Adam Clark. Adam is the founder of Podcast Royale and he's going to be coming out from behind the scenes and in front of the mic again to talk about founder market fit. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast.